0: Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, you probably will have seen um, from the booklets that we've handed out, um, you have little booklets and um, they track with the sessions and there's space for you to make notes. Uh, there's some little quotes in there, they don't directly relate to the teachings, but hopefully there's there's something in there to provide a, a base and a connection for you to reflect on these uh, talks, um, not just as as I'm sharing, but over the course of the weekend. And, and you'll have seen that the focus passage that we're going to be looking at over the course of the weekend comes out of Isaiah chapter 6. But before we get there, just a little bit of context to to what is going on around Isaiah at this time and what Isaiah has been prophesying and speaking out and going to be speaking out in and around this moment that he has with God. And so I I guess you can essentially sum up the the, the first five chapters of Isaiah in the first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 1. And it says this in in Isaiah 1, uh, verse 2. We'll get to the main text in a moment. Uh, But it says this, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and they have turned from him. And this is, the, this is the context that Isaiah is speaking into. This is the sort of level of the nation's faith at this time. And so God says, Israel needs to know judgment is coming because they've abandoned God. But that there is hope for those that turn to God afresh if they will remain faithful and yet we see over and over again, the people don't listen and they don't heed the warning. And then into the midst of this desperate national situation, this incredible faithlessness of Israel, we see that Isaiah has this encounter with God. And it says this in Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, or crying to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And it's just amazing to me the way Isaiah sees the Lord in a way that seems so disconnected, so completely different to the way that everyone else in the nation seems to be seeing God. The people have despised God. Chapter 1, verse 4. But Isaiah sees God as infinitely, infinitely honorable, majestic, and glorious. The people are not worshiping God. There's no reverence for God. There's no respect for God. But Isaiah sees what is happening in the throne room. That God is receiving unending worship and reverence and praise. And, and we get this opportunity to understand that the God who is, is not the God that sinful people make him out to be. Which at best sort of looks like a better version of us. A nicer version of us. At worst, dead, irrelevant, absent, non-existent. And I was reflecting on this and thinking, the God who is... Yesterday, today, and forever. You know, in around 110 years, let's say, everyone who is alive today will be dead. It's an encouraging way to start the weekend, (laughs) okay? But everybody who has mocked God, denied God, laughed at God, ignored God, shaken their fist at God, disagreed with God they will be like King Uzziah they will be dead and they will have needed to stand before this holy God the God that the seraphim these morally perfect beings who when they speak the foundations of earth and heaven shake Have to cover their eyes in the presence of this holy God. As they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we think the world and we are guilty of such arrogance before this almighty God. Job has a moment like this, a moment like Isaiah has, where he eventually comes to the place where he starts to question God and challenge God. And then God responds to him. And it says in chapter 42, verse 3, Job says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust in ashes. As Job, the most righteous person on the earth, has to stand in the presence of almighty, holy, eternal God. And we see the difference between Isaiah and the rest of the nation. Even before chapter 6. Is he had a bigger and clearer picture and vision of the glory and greatness of God. And how wonderful he actually is. And you know the bigger and the clearer and the fuller our vision of the glory of God is. The heavier our brokenness over our sin. That is true. But also the deeper our thankfulness for our forgiveness and the richer our relationship with God becomes. And the fuller our joy in his presence, the more passionate our worship and our willingness to follow him. Because now we're seeing him for who he is, not who sinful nations have made him to be. And I just have been wrestling over these weeks as we've been leading up to this time. Will we see him as he is? Will we, will we open our hearts that wide? Will we, uh, there is a fear, I think, that we experience as we come close to that. The, the, the way that I described it in the, in the prayer meeting earlier, I experienced this. It's like sometimes I feel like I get close and it's like a stone skipping on the water. And you sort of touch it, but you skip over it. And you you just think, gosh, if I go fully into that, I don't know what that's going to do to me. I don't know how that's going to change me. I don't know what I'm going to be able to keep of me if I come into the throne room of God like Isaiah did. Like Job did. Like Paul did. Like John did in Revelation. There's an amazing quote, A.W. Tozer. Do you know A.W. Tozer? He says this, So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God, that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with its worship and its moral standards declines along with it. The first step down for any church is taken. When it surrendered its high opinion of God. Isn't that challenging? But you know, I thought it's inspiring too. Because it it goes the other way as well. If church can recover its high opinion of God, then everything else goes up with it. As we begin to see God for who he is. And Isaiah sees the Lord. High and exalted. And it's amazing when you're able to say that. I, I, I saw the Lord. And I think even as we say that, and even as Isaiah says that, uh, you know, as much as he saw, and as much as Job saw, and as much as Paul saw, and as much as John saw, we will see more when he comes again. And when we're made to be like him. But there was enough to knock him to his knees. In recognition that God is much, much bigger than me. Hallelujah. (laughs) But it's also important that we don't think it's all up to God to come and knock us off our donkey as he does with Saul, Paul. Over and over again, right through the Bible, we are called to seek the Lord, that we might know him, to search for the Lord that we might know him as he truly is you know in fact not seeking God is actually seen as one of the chief symptoms of our sinfulness and brokenness if you're taking notes Romans 3 uh, we see Paul quotes from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 when he says as it is written no one is righteous no not one no one understands how do we know because no one seeks for God All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The way we seek after God is an amazing barometer of our spiritual health. Isaiah, later on in his prophetic work, gives us this promise. He says, "'Seek the Lord while he may be found.'" Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. But will we seek him? And commit to seek him? David gives us this command. And and Ryan and I were talking about this. this This is one of my favorite commands in the scriptures. And one of the most challenging because I want to do it and I don't always do it. And I have to bring myself. You know, David says, like, why, oh soul, are you not doing what you meant to be doing? And you might have to say that to yourself. (laughs) Okay. But David, Psalm 105, verse 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And I don't think God would ask us to seek for him in that way if he didn't want to be found but I think he's looking for hungry people, for hungry people. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the most vital question to ask about all who claim to be a Christian is this. Okay. Anyone claim to be a Christian, right? This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says is the most crucial question for you to ask. Have they a soul thirst for God? Is their life centered on him? do they press forward more and more that they might know him he knew what he was talking about you know i think it's it's so amazing to see this picture isaiah sees the lord high and exalted and the train of his robe fills the temple and something of heaven touches earth for us Been reading an incredible commentary um, on the book of Isaiah, and in it he says this on this verse The temple is no mere symbol of his indwelling presence, it's the reality of it. In the temple, the Lord meets with his people, it is the point that heaven touches earth. And then Paul says this incredible thing, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you have become the point at which heaven touches earth. If we would become aware of it. The presence of the living God living in us. And so this is my challenge to us for this weekend but it's bigger than this weekend because it's actually about your whole life and it's what we're holding one another accountable to hopefully in the best ways not to get down on one another but to lift one another up to spur one another on to actually what we are created for will we make the pursuit of God our highest goal Jot this down, if if you're taking notes. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. The people of Israel make a covenant together to seek the Lord. It says this in verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. And I don't know what that would look like for us What what would it look like for you to come away from this time and come away from this weekend and you say, I've covenanted with God to seek him with all my heart and with all my soul. To seek to know the real God, the high and exalted God, not the God that's mocked and defamed and ridiculed in society by people who will be gone in 110 years. We are like, like the grass that withers and, is, and its breath is, his breath breathes on it and it's gone. But he is the God of yesterday, today, forever, an eternal fire. He has always been here. He will always be here. And will we seek him? I, I think it might look like greater desperation in prayer. I think it might look like greater commitment in his word. I think it might look like greater longing for ministry, to have people praying for us and praying for one another. I think it might look like a greater willingness to deal with our sin that we know if we bring it into the throne room, it's not going to stand up. And a greater denial of of self. I, I know I've spoken about this before. With the Lord, it's downward ascent. We either humble ourselves and He lifts us up, or we exalt ourselves and He has to humble us. And the first way is the better way. <laughs> the first way is the better way. And yes, there's challenge and sacrifice and self denial but also a life utterly and completely and joyously transformed. Um, There, I think, is nothing so tragically boring and empty as lukewarm Christian faith. And I think that's why Jesus says he will spit it out of his mouth. But there is also nothing so utterly thrilling, as having your heart on fire for the living God and committing your life to live for him. And that's what I want for all of us. And that's, I think, what God wants for all of us. And I think that can begin in moments like this as we covenant to seek the Lord and his presence and to seek him continually. What a joy. What a joy that we would not have to be knocked off our horse or donkey, but that we could come and knock on the door of the King of Kings and have him open it to us as our Father. What a privilege. What a privilege. We're going to take a moment to respond in a song of worship. And and I... I know our hearts are often mixed waters. (laughs) And there are many songs, Nikki and I were talking about this, in in our younger Christian life and and even in our older Christian life as we've been through more challenging times in our relationship with God. Some of the songs that that declare such radical devotion to God, we've not been able to sing them with integrity unless we were singing them as a prayer that that's what we want to be able to sing. Does that help you? And and so if you hear this evening and you say, you know what, Jason, I don't want God like that yet, but I want to want him like that. I don't. My heart's not on fire for God like that yet, but I want my heart to be on fire for God like that. I know it needs to be. Then you can sing these songs as a prayer, inviting the Lord to come and breathe on you. We We were, I think. This came out in prayer as a leadership team. This picture of, of Jesus walking up individually to each person like they were a coal and breathing on them. And it wasn't a, a storm wind over the whole congregation. It was you and God and God and you and him breathing on you and on your heart. So as we sing these songs and stand together, why don't we invite the Lord... Mm-hmm. To breathe onto the embers of our hearts. That whether you're a fire, you can become a raging fire. And if you're a candle, you can become a lamp. Okay? From glory to glory. I don't mind what it looks like so long as it's more. Yeah? That's the idea. That you leave hotter for God than when you came in. That's the plan. That's what we're trusting for. Let's stand together. If you want to put your hand on your heart, I just, I, I like to sort of have a physical outworking of what we're trusting God to do spiritually. And you just almost, it's, it's a bit like putting jumper cables on. <laughs> and you sort of saying, Lord, you see the state of my heart. And I pray that you would come in and just put a couple of extra volts into my spirit that you would come and breathe on the fire that is in me, that it would go up a level. Tonight, as I sleep, as I dream, as I wake up, as we go into the sessions that are ahead, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for me. I pray for all of us. Lord, breathe on us that we might be a fire for you and a light to this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.